This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. I'm Pastor Dan Yazel, welcoming you to Grace Notes, an outreach of North Taranaki Methodist Parish. I invite you to sit back and relax, grab a cuppa, and listen. May God surprise us and bless us in this moment. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Grace Notes. Last week, we looked at the prodigal son story, or actually better called the prodigal father, reckless and extravagant. Today, we'll be looking at the story of a woman breaking open a very expensive jar of perfume and anointing Jesus in a prodigal, fragrant moment. We progress through the season of Lent. The good news of Easter is coming soon. Thank you for listening and joining in. The piano music you hear today is performed by Rob Fleming, who's recently moved to New Plymouth. Thank you, Rob, for your gift of music. Our first reading comes from the book of Psalms. I'll be reading Psalm 126. Let's listen, you and I, for this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy carrying their sheaves. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God.
A gospel reading comes from the 12th chapter of John. It's the story of a woman breaking open an expensive jar of perfume and anointing Jesus in a prodigal, a fragrant moment. Jesus has just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead, and there's this very human scene that happens between Mary of Bethany and Jesus. She thanks him and cares for him, and Jesus is deeply touched. Let's listen for God's word to us as it comes from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of calling and comfort, of grace and challenge, these words travel through time, help us to see and hear and smell the goodness, the beauty of your love for us all. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. Amen. Well, I'll start out with something of a question. and uh, Truly, I don't know what happens here in New Zealand, but when you're in the States and buying an engagement ring, there's some kind of rules of thumb or there's an encouragement to spend a bunch of money. And I wonder if you might know if there is a recommendation here of, you know, how much money is the right amount to spend on an engagement ring? In the States, they would say, or the advertisers would have you believe you should spend three months' salary. It's a familiar guideline for many young grooms, uh, and I wonder how it ever became accepted as some kind of rule of thumb. I think somewhere out in New York, there's a high-end advertising agency that has made a whole boatload of money by convincing people that if you love someone, if you really love someone and you want to show it, you should spend three months' salary on a diamond engagement ring. It seems absurd, and it certainly is, that anyone would dare put a price on the extravagance, or, or begin to offer any idea how much you spend in order to say, I love you. And yet somehow, 
There's that idea out there. You've got to make it big and splashy. Extravagant love. That's not a novel idea. It's not a new message. In an overwhelming and an unforgettable moment, Mary spent a year's wages as she broke open this jar of expensive perfume, this nard, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. The fragrance is gone, it's faded, but her action won't be forgotten. We're still talking about it. This is a very human relationship between Mary of Bethany and Jesus, and it should be noted that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were all good friends of Jesus. Jesus would have stayed with them often as he traveled. He enjoyed their friendship, and their home felt like home to him. In our story today, Mary alone seemed to be the one who knew what to provide Jesus at this moment. Now, not only is she grateful that her brother had been brought back from the dead, she recognizes surely that Jesus must be exhausted by the crowds who had been flocking to hear him, all of these expectations being put on him. He must be tired of feeling sort of hunted and always just one step ahead of the authorities. He must be tired of Judas and all of his pretensions. And certainly Jesus was anticipating what lay ahead on the next day as he would ride into Jerusalem with all the waving palms, she knew that Jesus was savoring this precious time, this moment, this oasis to enjoy an evening with friends. All of this just before the events of Holy Week would begin. Better than anyone, it seems, Mary knew right now in this moment What Jesus could use was a touch of human kindness. And so she doesn't think. She acts. Her intuition knew more than her head or her heart. It's her intuition that provided the pulse to be impulsive and to show her love and commitment to Jesus by doing something for him right then and right there. For her part, Mary's gesture was bold. Even as a host, it would be inappropriate for a woman in that culture to let down her hair and to act like this. And yet Mary seized a moment that required risk. Risk to her standing among Jesus and other, the other disciples. Risk to her reputation in the community. Risk to her relationship with her sister and brother. And yet, She doesn't fear. She doesn't hold back. She doesn't stand still. What mattered most to Mary in this moment was the opportunity to give a loved one a real gift of gratitude. She, more than others, knew Jesus' human need for an expression of love and deep friendship. So in an instant that is remembered for Eternity, this oil is turned on Jesus' feet. And imagine how that must have felt for Jesus. Hot, tired feet, not only washed, but but tenderly anointed by another. 
with more, more, more than would be required. It just kept flowing from that vase as Jesus' feet were anointed. Somebody is saying, thank you, and I love you, to him in human terms, and Jesus understood. He got it. Into this moment, enter the chair of the finance committee, Judas, and he brings a protest. Why waste all of this? It could have been sold and given to support the poor. How often in the church have we read this text and looked at it with that sense of or perspective of stewardship? Stewardship reflects how what we value most. Where is it that we choose to pour out our treasures? What do we do with the precious commodities, the perfume in our lives? I think what we do with it reflects and reveals what is most important to us. This text challenges us to view prodigal giving, a reckless, extravagant giving away, and then to consider. Sometimes it is the right time to be lavish. Mary's willingness to break open her greatest treasure is an expression of love for Jesus, and it stands in stark contrast to the meager and to the guarded, to the whole hard-heartedness that criticizes her. I'd like to look at Judas' response and look at it from a different perspective than that of the money. I mean, Mary hadn't done anything wrong, and yet here comes a church leader that was quick to criticize. While perhaps difficult, it is important to recognize how sometimes religious authorities only want to scold and shame and tell people where they've gone wrong. I don't think that's helpful. In my experience as a pastor, I've talked with people about their lives and their spiritual journeys and their struggles with faith and faithfulness. We've each tried to love God, and no one will express their love in the same way. There's not a recipe that we have to follow or even that we get to follow. All that I've heard suggests that we definitely don't need somebody, somebody else to tell us where we've blown it or where we've done the wrong thing as we try to live out our love for God. There's too much of that. The problem with religious authorities that scold and shame is sometimes we project that onto God and we assume that God, likewise, looks upon us with a scowl and a frown, and we think that God is just waiting to point out where we do wrong and, and then punish us for it. And so I love this text. When Jesus turns to Judas and the other religious leaders and says, in defense of Mary, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Mary did nothing wrong. Sometimes we might wonder, what did we do wrong in our efforts to be faithful? Sometimes we do know what we've done wrong because we are experiencing the sting of our actions, the sting of our sin. And whenever our sins would condemn us, whenever our conscience would judge us, wherever we would find ourselves 
feeling as though we're beyond hope or somehow we've passed outside the reach and the realm of God's love, Jesus would say again, let them alone. Would even say to us in our own voice that would, it would talk to us as we would criticize ourselves. Here comes a voice from Jesus saying, let him alone, let her alone. And remind all of us that we are a child of God, precious and beloved. The good news of the gospel is that grace always trumps shame. Our forgiveness in God's love is greater than the failures in our lives. If we hear nothing else today, hear this, that God looks upon us not with a scowl, but with a smile, not with a frown, but with eyes of love. It is by grace and the love of Jesus that we are forgiven. And sometimes we have to send our hearts a change of address form and remind ourselves that we are no longer living in a house of shame because by the grace of God, we've been brought into the arms of grace. Jesus is telling us that his impending death, he's going to break open and pour out the very treasure of his life, not simply as the result of scheming enemies or betraying friends, it is the result of sacrificial love that he has for all of us. So for when we do gather at the communion table, we always say we do this in remembrance of him. In the end, I think this text is about the value and indeed the need for sacrificial love. And how will our lives, how do our lives reflect that? The text is telling us that the deeds of sacrificial love, those are going to be remembered. Deeds of prodigal love, those will remain of value and beauty in the world. How will that look in our lives? In what small ways? In what significant actions? In our own attitudes? How will we break open our lives in order to show love and service to one another? in between those who would rise up in violence against another and those who would betray a loved one for the sake of their own pleasure and pursuit, this text holds up the story of Mary, whose action shall be always remembered. And the truth is that amongst the plotters and the rulers, amongst the faithless and the betrayers, there are deeds of love, there are acts of sacrifice, and those last, they remain, they will be remembered. So as we head into the day ahead and the weeks before us, let's go and give, not just a little, but give our lives in deeds of sacrifice, in acts of love, all remembering the one who has loved us first and always. May it be so for you and for me today and always. Amen. So that's all for today. I hope you've caught a glimpse of grace through this time. You're invited to join us for worship and fellowship Sundays at 10 a.m. at New Plymouth Methodist Church, the corner of Weardit and Powderham Street. Until next week, 
God's grace and peace be with you. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.